open them to Jesus chapter 5, and we're going to be taking a look at a passage here, another story from the life of Jesus. And as you're opening your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, I want to ask you to consider a question this morning, to, to think along the lines of, of this question. Do you believe that people can change? Right, like this is one of those questions which it's kind of like uh, if you think about like uh, a, a, you look at a glass with, with some water in it. Is it half full or half empty? And usually your response tells you something about your own personality. The question I think asking, do we believe people can change, is one of those questions that tells us something about our perspective, our view of the world around us. Is it optimistic or pessimistic? Is it, is it hopeful or is it kind of conditioned and, and, and kind of uh, shaped by our own past experiences? Do you believe that people can change? And, and honestly, I'm asking you to, to think about that question, not from the vantage point of what does your pastor want to hear you say, but what do you truly believe in your heart? Do you believe that people can change? Is there hope for teaching an old dog a new trick, right? So I think the reality is that most people, we, we treat one another as if we can't change. I, I think that for many of us, we, we wrestle with this idea that, that people can actually be changed, that, that, that their, their, their habits, their attitude, their personality, their, their, their roughness around the edges, their, their, their kind of naivete to, to how they treat one another, that, that we, we don't actually think that that can be changed and transformed. We, we tend to look at one another and, and, and not see each other's potential to be whole, to be healed, to become that healthy person that I believe God created us to be. And so in a strange sort of way, I want to just say that I think the Bible affirms this. The, the Bible affirms that, that people can't change. The Bible affirms this idea, this hopelessness you feel in your heart that people can't change. You're hearing me correctly when I say that. That's kind of a shocking thing to, to, to consider. But the, the truth is, what Scripture does affirm is that people can't change apart from God. People are not able to change their circumstances, their personality, their character, their, their, their integrity, their future. None of that can change, truly change, apart from God intervening into their life and planting his divine power in our lives through the life of Jesus Christ. That's the reality that Scripture affirms. People can change, but only when, the God's, when God's divine, heavenly power is poured out into our lives through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, even as we think about Advent, waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon Jesus' return, celebrating Jesus' first coming by being born in a manger, we realize, we recognize, we acknowledge that this is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to make it possible for true change to happen in our lives. And so in the context of the book of Mark, I want you to consider that when we talk about Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, there's a reality to it. The, the fruit of God's kingdom coming is changed lives because the kingdom of God changes people. 
When we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we, we, we express our desire for the kingdom of God to come to this earth as it is in heaven, we're not just praying for God's reign and rule. We're praying for all the transformation and change that comes with the kingdom of God on this earth. We're praying, church, that God's kingdom here in this room would, tra- would change our lives, would transform us from the, the inside out. This is what we're praying for. So I ask you, are, are you, are you tired of struggling with addictions? And I'm not just talking about to, to, to alcohol or drugs. Addiction to, to our screens. Addiction to, to wasting our time. Whatever, fill in the blank with whatever that addiction is. Are you tired of, these, of struggling with these addictions, wanting to get past them, but not able to? Are you exhausted and ashamed of, of anger's grip on your heart? Are, are, are you tired uh, and frustrated and at your wit's end with dealing with insecurity and worry and fear? Do, do you kind of live in that place where you're thinking, man, am I ever going to change? Am I ever going to get past this? The answer is no, apart from letting the kingdom of God break into not just this world, but into your heart. And so this morning, I'm going to encourage you to, to lean in, to pay closer attention not just to the passage itself, but notice the kingdom of God breaking out in this world as Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. So go ahead and look in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read, it's a, it's a lengthier passage. It's a story from Jesus' life, 20 verses. Follow along as I read them for us. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the lesion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, "'Go home to your friends.'" And tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. 
Let's give thanks for God's word. Father, we do give you thanks. Lord, sometimes it, it seems like praying after reading your scripture is just something we're supposed to do or a habit, but Lord, it's more than that. It's a, our moment of turning our hearts and our minds to you and thanking you, giving you thanks and gratitude for speaking forth of yourself, revealing yourself to us, making known what has been true of you from all eternity. Lord, I pray that this word this morning, this, the, the, this record that Mark has given us from the life of Jesus would be a seed that finds fertile soil in our souls, that it would grow up to bear great fruit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus and his company are arriving on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. If you remember from last week, we, we looked at the story where Jesus, after spending the day teaching about the kingdom of God to people, a crowd, a crowd so large that he has to get into a boat and kind of push offshore a little bit just so that everyone can see him and hear him. After spending a day doing that and talking about this, the coming kingdom of God that's there in his life, Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. He doesn't say why at the time. He just says, hey, let's take this boat. Let's, let's head over to the other side. And in the midst of that journey to the other side, they, they get caught up in a, in a, a massive windstorm. And, 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 and Jesus, again, shows his power over the winds and the waves. Here, as Jesus arrives to the other side of the sea, we see more of Jesus' power. Now, as he lands here in the, the country of the Gerasenes, we find him in a much different land, a much different country, a much different territory. This is land that was inhabited by, by the Greeks who had been conquered by the Romans under General Pompey. And so it was uh, very much submersed in Greek culture, but controlled by the Romans. And, and so in some ways, this passage represents Jesus's ministry, his mission reaching geographically beyond the land of the Jewish people. It's the, almost like the first missions trip, if you will. But, but more than landing on foreign soil, something very different happens when Jesus arrives. Mark tells us that when Jesus gets out of the boat, out of the boat, a very troubled man comes running up to him and throws himself down in front of him, right? We're, we're told in verse 6 that this man saw Jesus coming from a long way off. And then runs to him and falls down before him. But here's the thing. When he runs to him and falls down before Jesus, this man's not tripping. He, he's not, you know, so excited that he's running, running, running and trips. Doesn't look where he's going and trips and falls down before him. He's also not falling down in worship and submission of Jesus. Some of our Bibles, if we're reading in the King James or even the New King James, will say that, that this man came running and fell down and worshipped Jesus. But this couldn't have been possible. Because the, the man isn't just a man who recognizes Jesus, knows who he is, and wants to devote himself to him and, and, and pour forth his, and, and a credit to Jesus what is due his name. This man is controlled by an unclean spirit. And so we'll see in a moment that he's, his problems are much different than what you'd expect, and, and, and his motives are not what someone who would be worshiping Jesus would come to him with. So the demon possessing him went by the name Legion. A legion was a, a, a Roman military unit of about 6,000 soldiers. So, uh, so this man has been tortured, not by just one 
eensy-beensy little unclean spirit, but this spirit that's, that, that characterizes itself as being many, many evil, unclean spirits. He, he'd been suffering significantly due to these unclean spirits. Things had gotten so bad for this man that his home could only be living among the dead. He no longer lived among the living. He lived among the dead in the tombs in the graveyard. The first handful of verses in our passage tell us that, that no one could restrain him. They tried. They, they tried even binding him up in chains and shackles. And, and what did he do? He broke those shackles. He broke free. He was like the Incredible Hulk. Nothing could hold him back, right? He spent his life crying out in the night. He, he, he spent him, his life hurting himself, cutting himself with stones, which doesn't make sense, right? No one could control this man. No one could say, hey, get in line. Follow, this is the way you live a healthy life. Do this. No one could control him to do that. Mark uses a Greek word, damazo, which means to, to tame. But this is a word that, that isn't really used of human beings, right? It's used of wild animals, animals that, that, are, that we think are untamable or, or, or wild and uncontrollable. And so we've got to do a work to try and tame them and control them. In fact, in verse 4, it could be better translated that, that no one could tame this man, right? I mean, is that, is that a humane way that we talk about fellow human beings, that this is someone that needs to be tamed? I mean, we might say, like, they could use some discipline in their life, or, or, or they could be taught how to be more a part of society, but do we talk about them as being someone that needs to be, be tamed, like a, like a pet? This man wasn't even given the dignity of being a human being. So far, Mark's description of what this man looks like it really just details him what his life looked like on the outside. He hasn't yet in the passage gotten to the point where he starts to describe what's going on inside of him until we get to verse 7. Look at how Mark describes what's going on in verse 7 after the man falls on his face before Jesus. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. See, this is, this is why I think the King James Version got it wrong here. This is why the King James Version, New King James Translation is a little bit off, right? This man wasn't worshiping Jesus. He's trying to sweet talk Jesus or manipulate Jesus into doing what works best for, for the demons, Right? The demons controlling this man are, are not worshiping Jesus, acknowledging who he is and, and, and submitting themselves to him. They're trying to convince Jesus using their, their, their slippery language to say, hey, Jesus, son of the most high God. Like maybe if they, if they use that name, he'll listen to them. He'll, he'll hear what they have to say. They're just begging Jesus to leave them alone. Right? But so by, by kneeling down and calling on Jesus, th th this, this unclean spirit is just trying to persuade Jesus to go easy on them. I think the, the demon recognizes his days are, are numbered, and, and, and so he tries to pull out the, the sweet talk. Kind of like, um, you guys remember the show Leave It to Beaver? I mean, this is probably dating some of us, but there's Eddie Haskell, right? And Eddie was that, that guy, like, he was, he was bad news, right? But, 
but he had a way whenever uh, Beaver's mom came around, like he was, he was a smooth talker, right? That's what's going on here. I mean, this, this, the, 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 the reality of these unclean spirits, they're not, a, they're not good, but they're going to sweet talk to try and get things to go their way. And if there's any question about what their motives and what their goals are is seen in what happens in the next few verses, right? Because after they beg Jesus not to send them out of the country, they say, hey, you know what? Send us into that herd of of pigs. There's 2,000 pigs over there. Send us over there. The the life of this garrison demoniac man had endured much suffering every day with this legion that's torturing them, torturing him and, and tormenting him. And if there's any Understanding, if there's any question of the capability of these unclean spirits, it's seen in what happens next to these herd of pigs when they rush into the water and, and to their death. So, church, what, what I want us to see here is that these, these spirits, they're not worshiping Jesus. They've got one goal, and that is to destroy. That is to, 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 to kill and destroy and tear down and torment That's exactly what they did. As soon as they had the opportunity to do it with the pigs, that's what they did. And that's what they've been doing to this man for many years. See, I think we need to understand that the the reality of the world we live in, when we talk about this being a sin-sick world, not just with evil spirits, but but anywhere that sin has has its handprint on this world, it, it has one purpose. It is not to make your life better, It is not to to make you feel the peace that God created you in. It is to destroy. It is to tear down. It it, it is to do ultimately what what, what we see happen to these pigs. When when the unclean spirits are given permission, this is what they'll do. They'll kill and destroy. And so after the demons destroy the pigs in the sea, the herdsmen see this, and they run off to the village and, and, and to their countryside, and they tell everyone what they saw had happened. And so look at verse 15 to 17 of the passage. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, had the legion sitting there, and he was clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man, to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Church, I, I want us to understand something here, because this, this, is, this is it. People can change, right? The kingdom of God changes things. Or more specifically, King Jesus changes people, right? Not just that people can change, but people who come to, to know and to live under the authority of King Jesus. People can change, As the kingdom of God breaks into this world, as it expands upon this world, it actually changes people. It's not just Jesus establishing his rule and reign as authority over here, and then, you know, people can come to him if they want to. It's a matter of of Jesus' kingdom breaking into this world, and as it breaks into this world, it changes things. It changes people. It transforms lives. Do we believe this? Do you believe it? I, I know that for many of us, When we feel hopelessness, we feel hopelessness around our circumstances. We we feel hopelessness around our lives. We live in fear that our lives will never change or get better. But the reality is that as the kingdom of God breaks into this world and breaks into our hearts, 
and is given more reign and rule and authority in our lives, it changes people. It changes us. See, before meeting Jesus, this man, he lived in a graveyard. He ran around naked, screaming and yelling like some wolf howling at the moon. No one could tame him. No one could control him. They tried to chain him, he'd break the shackles, right? I I mean, he ran around just cutting himself and hurting himself with, with rocks and stones, that's what he, that, that, that's someone living under the kingdom and under the authority of the kingdom of this world, right? But after meeting and coming face to face with Jesus' power and his compassion, what he'll say later on, after he's seen what the Lord's mercy upon him, the man's described as sitting there clothed and in his right mind. What no one else could do, Jesus has the power and the authority to, Jesus alone. And doesn't it seem odd that, that the people, who, their reaction, they show up, and what's their reaction? They're, they're afraid. They're filled with fear. See, there, there is, there's a, a, I don't want to say a battle, maybe it's a battle, but there, there's, there's these two worlds, these two kingdoms, they're clashing. And you see it in the, the, the people from the village and, and, and Jesus and his disciples, and here in the middle, these two kingdoms come head to head in the life of this garrison demoniac. And you see what the kingdom of God can do, and these people look and they're scared. Why? Because they don't want the power of Jesus? Well, wouldn't you expect people to rejoice when they saw this? Wouldn't that feel like a natural reaction when they see, man, we've been trying to do this for so long. Look, he's, it's, finally, it's finally happened. He's, he's under control, right? See, the people... They, they, they weren't, they weren't afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of Jesus upending their status quo, changing what they had been comfortable with and their normal, right? The problem is that the, that the people are more comfortable with something they have control over explaining than over what remains a mystery to them. Like they've learned to explain, this man is just crazy. We're good with that. We're comfortable with that. But they can't, they can't explain how Jesus could cast out these unclean spirits and now resulting in a man whose life has changed. It's been transformed. I mean, it's, it's a little ironic, right? That, that they'd be more comfortable with the man being controlled by demons than they are with the one who has the power to cast out that evil. Isn't that ironic to us? But when Jesus arrives on their shore, the kingdom of God arrives with him. When Jesus arrives on their shore, there's, a, there's something new that's happening. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Right? It breaks forth in the wilderness. That's the prophet Isaiah. And, and, and this new thing is the kingdom of God coming to our shores. And as that kingdom breaks forth, Jesus changes lives. But for these people, their, their precious status quo of caring for a herd of pigs, of, of getting a regular income from, from their, their agricultural style and taking care of it all gets flipped up on end. It's challenged. So I think they become more frightened and fearful of their, uh, after their material loss of the pigs rather than, than, than the hearts of compassion for the man who's been tortured by this unclean spirit. 
All this to say that, that, that they seem to be more bothered by Jesus. They seem to be more comfortable living in the kingdom of this world than considering that maybe, just maybe, God wants to offer them hope and has a better thing in store for them within the kingdom of God. And so they, they beg him to leave. Just please, just leave. We can't handle you. We can't deal with this. We're not comfortable with the kingdom of God. But before leaving, one more person begs something of him. The man that Jesus heals. Jesus gets in the boat, disciples get in the boat, and just before they push off, the man runs to him and says, hey, please, would you please, I beg you, take me with you. Now, notice something, because three times in our passage, people come to Jesus and they beg something of him. Jesus, uh, the, the demons beg Jesus to send them into the herd of pigs, and Jesus gives them permission to do it, right? The crowd from the village begs Jesus to leave, and he accommodates their request. Twice already, Jesus has said yes to, to people coming and begging something of them. This third time, though, when this man who he heals and changes his life comes and begs him and says, Jesus, I want to come with you. I'm going to be with you. Jesus says, no, no. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 18 to 20 with me one more time. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. See, Jesus denies this man's request not for lack of compassion, right? I mean, if anything, the healing this man experienced is evidence, is testimony to the Lord's mercy on him, right? So the, the Lord denies this man's request, not for lack of compassion, but because he's commissioning him to a new purpose, right? Before, the man's purpose had nothing other than to run around a graveyard, screaming and howling and hurting himself, being untamable. Now, Jesus has not only healed him, but healed him to a new purpose, sent him for a new purpose. Church, before I go on with this part of our passage, I just want to challenge you to think about, you've been healed, you've been restored, You've been changed through Jesus Christ. And yet also you've been given a new purpose. A commission beyond your vocation or your context or your, your circumstances. You've been given a purpose to go and tell others what the Lord has done for you. How he's had mercy on you. And I know we feel insecure in that commissioning. We feel uncertain of how we are to fulfill that. And I'm not saying this now so you feel guilty because you haven't done more of it. I'm saying it to, to kind of awaken us to the fact that God doesn't just save us through Jesus Christ. He calls us into his kingdom with a new purpose, a commissioning to go forth and tell others what the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And that's an invitation for you to spend time thinking about how the Lord has had mercy on you, what he has done for you. Because guess what? What he's done for you, he wants to do for others. 
this man is not the only man who Jesus has cast out unclean spirits from in the Bible. There's at least four other specific stories where Jesus has cast out unclean spirits in the book of Mark. But, but beyond what Mark has told us, there are other stories of where Jesus casts out unclean spirits. God does the work of changing lives through his son, Jesus Christ. And there are other people who have circumstances like yours and who need to hear what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Because guess what? The Lord wants to work in their life in the same way. And so Jesus denies this man's request so that he might go out and tell his friends and his family what the Lord has done. And not just go out and tell them, you know, how crazy he used to be or, or, or how messed up his life was, but specifically that others might hear what the Lord has done for him. That's the commissioning. Go tell others what the Lord has done. You don't need to tell them how bad of a person you are and, and dwell all on that. You need to tell them what the Lord has done for you. Church, people can change. Jesus' power is, is over the, the, the physical, the material, and the spiritual, and the natural. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all power over these things. And he uses that power in introducing his kingdom to this world to show us that this kingdom changes lives. Our lives, your life, your friends' and family's lives. There are people who need to know that there is a hope for their world, for their life. And that hope is Jesus Christ. Not, not just getting in line with Jesus and obeying Jesus, but understanding that as we trust in his rule and authority in our lives, as we obey him and follow him, he does a work of spiritually transforming us from the inside out, casting out those unclean spirits so that we too might sit there clothed and in our right minds. Can we trust that? Can we believe it? Jesus changes lives. When we let Jesus draw near to us, when we trust in him pouring out his compassion on our lives, do we trust that he will change us? Now, before you get all anxious to hurry up and see your life change and start, you know, practicing a new habit, like before, before we start breaking out our New Year's resolutions and, and, and saying this is the year we're going to change what we do, I, I want you to understand a, a couple of things. I want to encourage you to consider what this means for your life that Jesus changes things. First of all, I want to emphasize that Jesus changes people, right? This is not Dan changes people. This is not you changing people. This is our believing that Jesus changes people, right? And that should give us hope as we think about our loved ones too, because no matter how much they resist the, 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 the kindness and the generosity and the good intended words that we may share with them, we need to learn to trust that Jesus wants to change their life far more and far greater than we could ever attempt to do. And so I want us to understand and emphasize that it's Jesus who changes people. Before the man saw Jesus from a long way off and ran to him, Jesus had already determined to cross the Sea of Galilee. Remember last week when, when Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. We didn't know what Jesus' plan was. We didn't even know if Jesus knew what his plan was because Mark doesn't tell us. But here we see 
Jesus doing exactly what Jesus intended to do. I, wanna, I, I love that our worship team read for us, and Kate read for us from Isaiah 61. Let me just read it real quickly. This is, sorry, this is not going to be on the, on the screen because uh, it, it wasn't in my notes. But the spirit of the, the prophet Isaiah is speaking what the Lord has given him to say. And this is something that we find out later on in Luke, that this is, this is part of the scroll that Jesus opens up and reads in the temple when he reads the word of God in the temple. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, Right? This is, the, this is the mission of Jesus. This is what he's about. This is why he crosses the Sea of Galilee. Before this, this demon-possessed man sees Jesus and starts running to him, Jesus has already taken the initiative to cross that sea and come to the land of the Gerasenes. People need to understand that Jesus changes lives. And he does it because that's his purpose, that's his mission. That's what he's sent to do. Paul talks about this in chapter two of his letter to the church in Philippi when he said that Jesus doesn't count equality with God, something to be grasped onto, to be held onto, but instead he emptied himself and took on the form of mankind. This is why we can you know, talk about Emmanuel being God with us because he comes to us in the form of man in Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus became like you and I so that he might become our representatives both in life and in death so that we might have eternal life. Jesus embodies Emmanuel. But more than God crossing the sea of eternity to land on our shores and to set us free from oppression, God works in setting us free on an individual basis. That's what's so powerful about that passage from Isaiah. Because it's evidence of the fact that Jesus doesn't just come to tell people about the kingdom of God. He comes to set people free. The kingdom of God changes people. It sets people free from, their, from the brokenness and the, 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 the chains which hold them down. It gives them hope. This is what, what, God, or what theologians call provenient grace. When, when, when we recognize that before the, the idea of hope was even on our minds, before there was even a thought that we needed to be changed, God already was drawing near to us, was coming forth and pursuing us and making salvation possible. That we can be healed, saved, and invited into his kingdom. Why? Because he goes first in seeking us. Not that this man went first in seeking Jesus on the shoreline, but because Jesus crossed that sea first toward us. Prophet Isaiah writes about this in chapter 65, verses 1 to 5. Let me just read what the Lord says. It says, I, I was, the Lord saying, I was ready to be sought by those who didn't ask for me, I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people, not to a people that were submitting and surrendering themselves to me, but to a rebellious people, right? Who walk in a way that is not good. 
following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing their gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are smoke in, are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. This is what provenient grace is, church. That when we reject God, when we, when, when we were yet dead in our sins, Christ died for us. He came to us. When, 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 we, when we think maybe, like, you know, maybe we actually need something, God had long before that moment been coming to seek us out and to save us. See, church, Jesus changes people, even those who don't yet know that they need his healing even those who don't yet know that they need to change. Why? Because he alone has that authority. And, and, and this is what he reveals to us in our passage today. Jesus has the authority to change lives. But secondly, I, I want us to see that, that people can change as they come to Jesus, right? A, Jesus changes people, but then people can change as they come to Jesus, warts and all, right? This, 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 this garrison demoniac didn't say, oh, Jesus is coming. Let, let, me, uh, let me throw some clothes on. Let me, let me uh, kind of hide these shackles under a rock so we can't see that, they're, that I've they're been untamable and whatnot. No, he, and again, with these unclean spirits, he rushes to Jesus. He comes to, he draws near to Jesus while Jesus was still a long way off, the man ran to meet him. Now, and he, even though he probably didn't fully understand what was happening, and actually maybe that's even more important for us to understand, we may not fully understand who Jesus is and what his capabilities and power are, but in drawing near to him, what we come to see is that he can do a very powerful work in changing lives. There are many of us here in this room or, or even online who think our lives are just fine. We think, you know, we're, we're actually, you know, we're pretty good people. You know, we may, we may not be perfect, but, but we lead pretty good lives, right? We're kind, those things. Or, or maybe, maybe we see some of the issues going on in our lives, but overall, we're not as bad as those people over here, right? We're, 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 our life isn't bad in comparison to other people. But if you'll allow me to challenge you a little this morning, then listen up. Because, and I don't mean this in a condescending or harsh way, but you're not nearly as good as you think you are. Right? I mean, none of us are. Sin has a deeper hold on our hearts than you probably realize. See, I think we, we view sin like this, this contained tumor. We, we, we see it as this contained tumor that all the surgeon has to do is go in and, and carve it out and take it out. It's got clean margins. It's out of my life. My life is back to being whole and, and healed and, and good, right? But, but that's not what sin is like. Sin is more like this metastasized tumor that's spread out. It doesn't have clean margins. It's messy. It's ugly. It's in the far reaches of our body. It's all over the place. So you may, may think like by dealing with this one issue and cutting this one part out, you're good. Your life's better, right? You're not so bad. But what I want to challenge you to consider is that's not what sin is. It's messy. It's all over the place. It's everywhere. 
So if you're sitting there this morning thinking, I'm not a bad person, I, I, would, I would challenge that and say, actually, yeah, sin has a deeper hold on our lives. The, the reality we have to face this morning is that you are more broken and sinful than you could ever imagine. But there's another side to that coin, because though you are more broken and sinful than you could ever imagine, you're also more loved and sought after by God than you could ever imagine as well. That's the grace of the gospel. That yes, we are broken, and, and, and more so than we would want to admit, but so also are we more loved and sought after by the God who would cross eternity to come and rescue us from unclean spirits. See, church, Jesus is coming after us with an unrelenting love. He's coming after us, and nothing will stop him from drawing near to us. If only we will turn to him and receive it. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, even demon possession, even mental health that's, that's not so great, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Theologically, church, God has come toward us he is offering us salvation. He has gone first. That is his provenient grace. We are able to be changed because God makes it possible in drawing near to us. Not even a legion of demons could keep us from the love of God that, that's ours in Christ Jesus. Jesus changes people. People can change in Jesus. And so lastly, I, I just want to I want you to consider why people change, or why Jesus change, changes people. He doesn't change people just to make them happier, more content, better, give them better circumstances. That's not what Jesus is doing in, in bringing his kingdom to this earth, in, in his kingdom breaking forth even there in the land of the Gerasenes. He's not changing for change, or he's not changing people for change's sake. He changes people to welcome them into his kingdom. Early on in the Gospel of Mark, we're told that Jesus began proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, that time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and so Jesus says, repent and believe in the good news that Jesus brings. See, more than a story of Jesus rescuing a demon-possessed man 2,000 years ago, the story in Mark is evidence of God's kingdom breaking out here on this earth. More than reading just this miracle story, it's a chance for us to see God's miraculous kingdom tangibly, physically, breaking out in our world. This is what happens when the kingdom of God is here on earth. And more than just some ruling power and authority, God's kingdom is one in which oppression is broken and justice reigns. That's, that's what Jesus comes to do. That's what he declares when he opens a scroll of Isaiah in Luke and, and reads from Isaiah 61 as we read in the service this morning. He's saying, this is what I do as a king. I set people free from their oppression. This is what I'm here for. 
Early on in Mark 5, we're introduced to a man with unclean spirits, and he's described as a man who, who no one could tame, right? He was, he was what the, the Greek word demazo, and yet Jesus does more than tame him. He sets him free from his oppression. Church, this is what the kingdom of God does as it breaks into this world and destroys the reign of Satan. This is the kingdom that we live in as we trust in Jesus, as we declare that he is our Lord and our Savior, he's our King. We want to be obedient to him. Day by day, we find more and better ways to obey him and trust him and, and, and as he tears down the kingdom of this world, right? God's kingdom has been promised and has been coming for many, many, many years. And that's what we see here in Mark, that this is the kingdom that God has promised. In the Old Testament, there's a young Israelite captive named Daniel. And Daniel is given a dream by King Nebuchadnezzar to interpret. And in this dream, there are four kingdoms. And for the sake of time, I just want to point out something about the fourth kingdom. Because in the fourth kingdom, verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2, he describes the fourth kingdom like this. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Right? See, God made a promise way back in the Old Testament to establish a new kingdom that, would, that, that, that could never be destroyed, that, that could never be torn down, that could never be brought to an end. And it's this kingdom that Jesus introduces us to. But what I want us to see in, in Mark 5 is, is there's a language around what Jesus accomplishes that reminds us of this promise. In other words, what Jesus does in casting out these unclean spirits is to say, hey, for those of you who know the promises of Old Testament, look back and remember what God has promised to do. He's doing it now. He's establishing this kingdom. Because here in, in Mark 5, uh, quite literally, the, the language Daniel uses to interpret the fourth kingdom is, is that it will tame and subdue the other kingdoms. Right? This man with an unclean spirit, he was untamable until the kingdom of God comes in and tames and subdues him. Right? The man was untamable until the kingdom of God tames the kingdom of this world. Church, this, this is what we celebrate in Advent. This is what we celebrate with Jesus' birth. That God, is, that God is with us and that Jesus has crossed the sea of eternity to introduce us to the kingdom. And not just this being a, a good alternative to what this world has to offer, but to be the true lasting kingdom that will never come to an end, that could never be tamed or, or shattered by the kingdoms of this world. That's the hope that we live with in Advent not just that Jesus came, but that he'll come again. And this kingdom, which he has established now, will reign forever. So practically speaking, yeah, people can change. Because Jesus changes people, church. He changes people for his kingdom. And so run to him. 
Run to him like this garrison demoniac. Run to him, kneel before him, and let him do whatever work he has to do in your life. Let him cast out whatever unclean spirit, I'm not saying you're demon-possessed, but whatever, whatever things are going on in your life, let him cast them out of your life. Let him change your life from the inside out. Don't, don't give him part of your life and say, you know, could you fix this toe? It's hurting right now. Can you fix this? And then, I'm, then I promise I'll be good. No, throw yourself down before his mercy. And then look to see what the Lord has done for you. Look to see how he poured out mercy and compassion upon you. And then rise and hear him say, go and tell others what the Lord has done for you, how the Lord has had mercy on you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, that you are a sovereign God. That while we were yet sinners, while we were yet dead in our sin, you drew near to us. You poured forth graciously your salvation so that we might be citizens of the kingdom of God, children of God, changed by God. Lord, for those of us who are wrestling this morning with the reality that you change lives, that, that we're struggling to trust that there is hope for us to cling to, Lord, I pray that your grace would, would be poured out upon us. I pray that you would graciously invite us to draw near to you, that we would take that step of faith and trust you to change lives, to trust you to, to, to transform us from the inside out. Thank you for your kingdom, which is here and now changing us, transforming us. May we not just celebrate that transformation, but may we also hear your commission to go forth, to tell others what the Lord has done that they too might experience the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Stand and sing with us, please. Sweet no.